Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Old Lady Speaks podcast on Black and White and Red All Over. I'm your host, Danny, coming to you for episode number 100, the big one, zero, zero. <laughs> that. Prepared sound effects coming from my phone. So if you want to listen to this one, our special 100th episode that comes on, thankfully, the final weekend of the 2021-2022 season, you can follow us on your favorite podcasting platform, whether that is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you do listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, feel free to leave us a rating and review. So now that we've hopefully got all of our technological issues out of the way, we can begin here. So hello, Sam. Hello, Danny. It is weird to be in this state. Just like, I don't remember the last time I was truly glad for a season to be over. Do you? Uh, Chucks will know the, the dark ages. Yes, we don't speak of those ages. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I haven't I haven't done the dark ages in a while, though. So it's, you know, and for there to be such uncertainty about next year, too. It's it's all going to and we'll get to it, I guess. But man, it's a weird feeling to end the season. Indeed it is. And we've already heard his voice. We've got Chucks. Hello, Chucks. Yes, yes, my uh, one and only voice. Now, uh, episode 100. So uh, as kids would say, uh, we're keeping it 100. And uh, hopefully uh, many more 100s to come. And yeah, let's, uh, let's keep the party rolling. Last but not least, Sergio Romero. Hello, Sergio. 
happy to be here as always. I'm kind of sad and, and ashamed that I didn't bring any sound effects. I feel like that. <laughs> I should have planned ahead for that. But anyway, yeah, just really, really happy to be here. Not so much without the season went, but we'll talk about that more. Pretty wild that it's a hundred pots. Uh, I don't I, like. I know I haven't been in all of them, but still, like a hundred pots. That's that's a lot. That's a lot. So, congrats to everyone to everyone involved in this. It started kind of like a pandemic project, and now it's a hundred podcasts in. It's you know, congrats to everyone involved. Essentially, all of us, and you know, <laughs> eleven. <laughs> yes, congrats to all of us Hunter and and cows who helps with the edits now. Yeah, and, and you know. Thank you to to everyone who's listening. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Thank you to everybody who who was actually listening, because otherwise, this is pretty damn pointless, isn't it? Yes, and as Sergio said, we we started when there was no Juventus happening, and now we come to you on our official episode 100. Even though there's technically been a few more than 100, uh, with a couple of special editions we've we've thrown in over the over the last two years, and. Well, usually at this point of the podcast, we do the takeaway from the weekend, but uh, can we all agree that the only takeaway from the weekend is that thankfully Juventus's season is over? Unequivocally, yeah. yes. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Makes me sad to... And also sad, that, that and sadness over the, uh, the, depart- the Monday departures. Those are the two takeaways that I think we can all agree on this week. Yeah. Yes. Yep. No, it's uh, yeah, definitely very glad. I mean, you know, just to, not to jump ahead too much, but I think, you know, noticing just noticing how the team's, uh, I guess, dynamic or or energy levels or mentality or whatever the correct word is, uh, how that changes once once there's nothing to play for anymore in a season is it's I mean, it's very kind of feels like a kind of a different reality, but it's, it's very notable. Uh, I saw the same thing with, uh, I mean, I didn't watch their games, but I kind of loosely followed um, the team uh, with PSG, with uh, Paris Saint-Germain, um, having won the title, the league on title, uh, I mean, I don't know, was it three, four weekends ago? You're just trying to scout future Juventus players. That's what you're doing. Yeah, they got this uh, one chap. He's pretty good. Uh, I don't know. His name starts with an M and then uh, starts with, a, I don't know, M-B-A, uh, M-B-A-P-P-E. I don't know. That's a funny uh, way to spell Donnarumma. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, I even forgot about him, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I've mentioned him a few times, but uh, one of my best friends, he's a Milan fan, and he just, oh, man, he just absolutely lets rip on Donnarumma. I, yeah, every occasion he have, has, he just he just lets loose on the man. They're, they, they just, I mean... To say that the Milan fans dislike Donnarumma would be the understatement of the year. I mean, they just—I mean, just sheer disdain. But they're happy, obviously, with their goalkeeper they have now. So with uh, Mike Mignon. So, but yeah, no, just seeing kind of just that drop in energy levels from, uh, you know, from Juve having secured the uh, the top four, the much coveted uh, top four uh, position. Uh, also, about uh, was it three with three match days to spare? I think it was. Yes. Um, yeah, and and you know, seeing that just you know, okay, we have nothing to play for anymore. I mean, clearly, to say it lightly, they just weren't bothered anymore. I mean, it is just not even in the slightest way were they bothered anymore uh, to play. And you know, they obviously were professional in the last three games and still, you know, didn't like just walk around. But you could definitely see that you know the types of yeah, I mean, the types of mistakes that you would you wouldn't make when there's still stuff on the line. The one that I'm specifically thinking of, and again, I'm sorry to jump ahead here a little bit, but the one I'm specifically thinking of was uh, 
just at the 2-2 against Lazio when the, the, the action that led to the uh, last-minute equalizer of uh, Milenkovic-Savic, you know, when Cuadrado missed or lost the ball there where he was trying to buy a foul and, you know, um, and yeah, that being lost the ball and just really buy, tried to buy a very cheap foul. And, you know, that's the kind of situation where if there's really stuff on the line and, you know, you're 2-1 ahead and it's, I don't know, 30-something seconds to go and it's really just important, you would run that ball to the corner. I mean, you you know, you wouldn't even think twice about it. You would run that ball to the corner. But those are that to me was very emblematic of the type of, I guess, mistake you make when you're not really playing for anything anymore. You're just like, well, you know, I mean, you're still trying, but you're not as 100% on top, like mentally on top of it, no matter how much the coach, you know, tells you to take this seriously. Um, there's just, there's that cognitive dissonance between, okay, the coach is telling me, you know, take this seriously, take this seriously, but it's like, you know, it's not like there's nothing to play for anymore. So yeah, just seeing that, you know, seeing that drop in energy and just that, yeah, just that kind of like, well, let's just, you know, kind of get it over with. Um, yeah, I think that was, I mean, equally understandable as it was kind of depressing and just kind of disheartening and I don't know, just, yeah, not really enjoyable, I suppose. So yeah, it's over. And, you know, a few months, few months break, I think, what, two months break or something. And then back at it, it again. It, two months hard. to the day. Yeah. It's, oh, hard, it really it's harder. It's hard to remember with the World Cup being in the in the winter correct yeah or t- i guess technically the fall and the winter yeah um when when things actually begin but yeah you know the preseason will start up much sooner than we think it will knowing uh knowing how how things operate these days but, it's also we're also going to have a lot more of the transfer window bleeding into the season this year than we're used to in Serie A, given how late the, the league usually uh starts as compared to the rest of the uh compared to the rest of the big European leagues. Like usually you only get a round or two in between the the start of the season and the transfer deadline. This year I think in Serie A they're gonna be at least four. But that could produce at the end towards the end of the of the window. Yeah well we'll start I guess in earnest with the the happenings from earlier in the week and you know we're recording here Sunday so the the season is officially done even though Juventus ended on on Saturday. And the Monday night, all of it, I mean, the, as Chuck said, the game was was what it was. It didn't have any meaning for it, at least from Juventus's end. But obviously, it was the last home game for two of the m- most notable players over this last decade, and especially the one who had been with Juventus for 17 years, who exited in the 17th minute in Giorgio Chiellini. And I guess just, you know, not anything to do with the game, just kind of kind of how we, how we were all feeling. As we saw, you know, the the latest captain who's meant so much to Juventus over the last couple of decades to depart and then also Paulo Dybala clearly, you know, show his emotion and his his sadness for, uh, you know, playing his last home game for a, a club that he holds uh, near and dear to his heart. Yeah, it was it was the Dybala stuff that that really brought the tears out for me. You know, uh, yeah, yes, I was, it was emotional with, with Chiellini as well, but there was the sense of an accomplished mission with him. You know, he spent 17 years with the club. He won every, absolutely everything that the club won during these, these glory days that we've, that we've had. He will go down as 
perhaps the greatest defender in Juventus history. There's an article coming for this, so be on the lookout on that. But yeah, I mean, as 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 emotional as it was for for Kielo, the, the stuff with Dybala at the end during the ceremony was it, it, it evoked two emotions. One, just the you know when when he lost it, and as he was as his teammates were were throwing him into the air and and, and when which he was pushing him towards the curva. I, you know, I, I was, I, I'll, I'll admit to that. I'll, I'm, I was openly weeping because it was just so he's not done. He was not done here. Uh, and the decision was made for him to be done. And that was really sad. And also, and, and also frankly, the, the anger and frustration of the fact that it took essentially a player mutiny for him to get the recognition that he deserved from the club, because you, you know, before the game, he was almost scrupulously ignored by Juventus social media. You know, there was no mention of him, uh, of this being his last home game in the, you know, in the stand, in the, you know, in, in the stadium on the day. Andrea Agnelli wanted that to go away as fast as possible. And the team did not let it. And that, that speaks to what, the, to what he, what Dybala means to the, to the team in the locker room. There are a lot of people I've seen a lot of, you know, over the last two years, a uh, few years, and especially as the contract saga really wound down, I started get to see, seeing a lot of people start saying Dybala is not a leader. He, he's never been a leader. He, you know, the fact that he's captain is, a, is, a, you know, vice captain is, is an affront to the, to, you know, the armbands. If you're not a leader, your team does not do that for you. Your team does not have that. If your team does not have the detachment to you, that doesn't happen. So that just goes to show you what Paulo Dybala really means to the team and for the club. And, you know, there are a lot of what ifs and there will be a lot of unfinished business when it comes to Paulo Dybala and his legacy with this team. But at the end of the day, he is one of the greatest goal scorers this club has ever had. There are only eight men who have scored more, and hopefully he'll be remembered by, like that eventually. By the fans, I think he certainly will. Yeah, it, 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 was, it, was, it was an emotional night all around. Yeah, I, you know, I agree 100%. I, I talked about that in, in the graph back. 100% agreed, I think, with Chiellini. was sad, obviously, but he's a, he's a guy approaching his 40s. You kind of saw it coming. You kind of knew that, that you know, he was going to hand, hang it up at some point. And, and that point was probably coming sooner rather than later. So it did feel a lot more like a celebration, like a, like a job well done type of thing for him. And, you know, before talking about that, let me just say, I, I think they should ban. I, I, I don't think you get to shill your new kit and to shill like your new fancy dumb hashtag when like you didn't win anything like it feels like that is like just doing the the new kid thing it only makes sense if you're actually like celebrating winning something if you're just doing it for the sake of doing it i don't think you get to do that juventus i think that was dumb and corny and it unfortunately juventus is usually recently dumb and corny but whatever that that's not you know there but <laughs> 40 well i think you know for many many people I think myself included, I think a lot of us included, we just didn't see that, you know, we just thought, oh, they're going to get this done at some point. Like, they're going to renew him at some point. Yeah, it's taking a long, yeah, it's a bit annoying that it's taking this long, but 
they're gonna, I mean, they're gonna renew him. Like there's no way they don't. And I think this was, I think for him and, and for like us as fans and for the club, like it, it was very clear that, okay, no, it's definitely not happening. And I think that's why the moment was so heavy. And I think that was the moment was so emotional for him because I'm sure that when you're in the season and you're competing and, and it goes back to, to what Chucks was saying earlier, right? Like when you're competing, when you're in the mix for something, when you still have the Coppa Italia final to go, when like the games matter, you can't kind of put it in the, in the back of your head that, you know, when you're finally there and you finally realize, oh, you know, he, you know, he finally realized this is it. This is the final game of playing here. This is the final playing a game for uh, the final game playing for this team and for this fans and with this shirt. You know, I think that's when, when kind of it all came together and that's why it ended up being such a, I think such an emotional moment in, in general. And in my opinion, a much more emotional moment than the one for, for Chiellini, just because it kind of, it, like Sam said, like they, they kind of try to to pass it off. It, it reminded me a lot of this for, for American fans, but in the NFL draft, when like everyone boos the commissioner, but like he goes out with like a, like a veteran or like he'll go out with like little children or like with something like that to try to kind of avoid and kind of not get booed by, by people. Like he'll use them as a human shield. I think Juventus was trying to do the same with Giorgio Chiellini and, and, you know, kind of like, Hey, just remember good times with this guy and let's not dwell too much on the guy that like Sam said, was, was one of the top goal scorers for the club. He said, dude, that is, you know, beloved by, by, by fans. And that, you know, his time was, was unfortunately cut short. And I think you could tell that, you know, at this point, the narratives are the narratives and, and, and people, you know, some people will say it's all in Dybala. He could have taken less money, whatever. It's all in the club. They pulled the rock off. I mean, like, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't really care much to really litigate that whole story, but you could tell that at least for the people in that stadium, at least for the fans of the club, they definitely, like, they were definitely not happy with one person. And that person was Andrea Agnelli. And that person was kind of like, he was the, the, the guy that had to put his face in front of it because it's really against Juventus management in general. And they just showered Dybala with, with a bunch of love and appreciation. And I think, you know, that's, that's really how I think his legacy is going to be remembered, right? Like, as a guy that, that really kind of gave it off, gave it all for the club and, and much more of, of the club being to blame for his story, not continuing rather than, than himself, which is really, I think, uncommon because it usually is like, you know, they turn it on the player, like, oh, if you really wanted to be here, he would have taken this, this and that and whatever. But I think for, you know, just because I think Juve management is not really in the best terms possible right now with their fans. I think the fans kind of took the side of the player, which is something you don't see all that often. But I think that that emotional goodbye really kind of really helped with that. And that that kind of was part of the awkwardness at first, because Andrea Agnelli wasn't on the field to say goodbye to Paulo Dybala, right? He was on the field to say goodbye to one person. That now was Giorgio Chiellini. Andrea Barzagli was there for Giorgio Chiellini, although he was Dybala's teammate. You know, they had the BBC come back because of Giorgio Chiellini. All these guys were there, at least we were told, because it was Giorgio Chiellini. And it's also in a way for Dybala because they're all teammate, you know, Marquisio, Dybala's teammate, Buffon, Dybala's teammate, Pjanic, Dybala's teammate. But that's what the beginning of that ceremony was, was so awkward, is that it was solely for Chiellini and for obvious reasons you can totally understand why but you've also got a guy who's been at Juventus for seven years as your vice captain is like we've said 
a, a couple of times, one of your best ever goal scorers. And he's almost an afterthought in a way until his teammates essentially went rogue and, <laughs> and took over the, took over the ceremony. And that's just what that's, that's kind of another wrinkle in all of this is that, like we've been saying, this day was for Chiellini because the club made it about Chiellini, but everybody wanted it to be about Dybala too. And that's what kind of got me is that you could tell just that swell of emotion was essentially given a giant push because the likes of Leonardo Bonucci and others wanted Dybala to get his shine and he deserved it. And, and like you said, seven years, that's, that's, that's not nothing. That's not nothing. And it was seven years by and far outside of really one year, which was the Andrea Pirlo year, which that, that was kind of a lost year. But outside of that one, I think every single one, he was, you know, very successful. Like he, he scored a lot of big goals. He had a lot of big moments. Like he, he definitely deserved better. And, and the club in, in a way, you know, they, they, they treated it like if the negotiations were like still ongoing or something, and you can't really say if he will stay or not when everyone knew that he was going to leave. And they treated him like, like, I mean, you know, sorry, this is the second shot at Fede Gubernadeschi right on the day, but like if he was Fede Gubernadeschi, like Fede Gubernadeschi did not deserve a ring of, like, I get it if you don't do a hashtag <laughs> for him or if you don't do like a celebrate, like I get it. Like he was by and far a bust whatever it didn't work out he spent a lot of time here but he was never really good you know but i think Dybala is, is a whole other bag I, I think i understand that it kind of got mixed and you don't want to have the two celebrations together or whatever but it, it definitely felt you know like 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 you guys said it felt awkward it felt weird that they just wanted to kind of sweep it under the rock and, and move on and especially for a guy that for a team that has been so marketing focused and so interested in growing their brand and whatever, like he was by far their most marketable player once Cristiano Ronaldo was done. And, you know, they kind of just swept it on the rug and pretended to like, it never happened. Like, you know, everything's okay. And it was just, it, it felt to me a little bit, you know, disrespectful to what he did as a Cuban player, because he wasn't, he wasn't just another Federico Bernardo. Like he actually, you know, he did a lot of good things for in, in the Juventus shirt. And I think he deserved a little bit of a better send-off, which was the great part of it, right? Like his teammates at the stadium gave it to him, even though the club, you know, very obviously tried to kind of sweep it under the rock. And it's just so strange that that, that, that was the case because it's like for the club is at this point, what do you have to lose? I mean, in terms of what do you have to lose of, you know, celebrating Dybala as much as you could celebrate Chiellini. I mean, it's, you know, well, it's over. It, it, there's one big thing. Chiellini is leaving by choice. Dybala is not leaving by choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, that's a good point. And, and very specifically by Agnelli's choice, I think. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, you know, the idea that Agnelli, you know, if the reports are true that Agnelli at, the, at that last meeting, you know, basically ducked out of that meeting or is true, you know, then then he wanted nothing more to something personal must have happened because he wanted nothing more to do with it. And and it's also really telling. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Chucks, but it's it's also really telling that after what happened, after the team, after the team and the fans just, you know, basically very loudly and publicly told the club, we're doing this whether you like it or not. That's when social media started scrambling to show you know, images of Dybala, videos of Dybala in the locker room getting a round of applause, that that heartbreaking picture of him and Vlaovic sitting at midfield, 
like all of that happened as it, that the, the PR, the attempt to try to catch up on the PR of that was, it, it was obvious and it was kind of pathetic. And yeah, they're, was, they're, they were trying to save face a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it is really like just, well, actually, before I say that, I, you know, I remember, um, I think it was in when I was in university, probably in a marketing class or something like that. Um, or it might've been a little bit after, but anyway, I remember reading something about like why companies need, uh, I think the specific term was like a listening, a listening officer or something. But anyway, basically why companies need someone who's like basically monitoring social media and monitoring it because, you know, to see if there's like a controversy brewing, you know, and, and to like nip it in the bud right away. Like, Hey, I see a lot of, you know, people talking about this, like, we got to reply to this right away. And I kind of, you know, to what you're saying, Sam, that kind of reminds me of that, like how, you know, there was kind of a bit of a disgruntlement growing on social media about this old Dybala situation um, after the um, after the Lazio, Lazio game. And then suddenly they're like, oh, okay, we got to respond to this before it gets out of hand. Like, and then, you know, let's put out, yeah, content and celebrations and all that. And yeah, I mean, go, going back to just kind of the contrast between the situations with Chiellini and Dybala you know because in on one hand with Chiellini it's like it really felt like a moment of celebration because it's like it's it's it kind of felt like a retirement party you know you, you throw when people retire they throw retirement parties to kind of celebrate their careers and celebrate like how they're yeah all the things they achieved and to kind of mark a new chapter in their lives and I mean Chiellini sounds like he's still going to play year or two or so for LAFC baby yeah <laughs> shame hey eh? we still got a place in Columbus Crew, so I can you know drive over an hour and uh, <laughs> and see you and go to the nice uh nice parts yeah, of Columbus come to the east coast this year yeah well you know hey there's 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 room there's room hey come on come on up <laughs> there's room <laughs> um everybody's going to Florida now so jeez um but yeah that's a whole nother story but yeah I mean you know with Chiellini it felt like a moment of celebration just like yeah like i said that kind of retirement party feel of like you know even though he isn't officially retiring it i mean it really sort of feels like a retirement of course he's done with italy and yeah i mean now going to you know more likely going to the mls to basically wind down his career um so you know that, that in that sense that feels like a celebration like a celebration of all he's achieved and like you know kind of a, a, a closure i guess um and obviously with dibala i mean just given how his departure happened. I mean, clearly that wasn't a closure. It wasn't a, I mean, he's still going to have a career. I mean, I suppose he's still going to play football. And, you know, obviously the circumstances of his departure were completely different. And it's, I think that's why there's, maybe that's what created that tension just surrounding how, you know, these departures, just just talking about the, you know, the Lazio, like post Lazio game, the last home game. Um, how these cases were, I guess, treated differently, uh, which again, doesn't justify it, but I think it's maybe that might've been some kind of factor in it. You know, on one hand, that sense of celebration with Chiellini and with, with Dybala, I mean, you know, it was, it was a, essentially a sense of disgruntlement. Like, you know, this is not what was intended. Uh, with Chiellini, it was very much intended. It was very much, his choice was very conscious. And, you know, like we all said, I mean, it was basically coming. Uh, with Dybala, I mean, that, quite frankly, was not supposed to happen. I mean, it, there were, I mean, just until a few months ago, that didn't seem like it was going to happen. So maybe, you know, maybe that was, I don't know, some, yeah, some some influence on just kind of how that 
you know, the, the final home game departure sending off was, was treated. I don't know. But again, it's like, to me with the club, it's like, it's just, if this was intentional, which I'm not, I don't really like speculating on these kinds of things. Cause I don't know. I don't have a lot of information on like the inner workings and all that stuff that happens behind the doors. But if this was intentional, I mean, it is deeply, deeply disappointing because it's just completely unnecessary. You know, it's again, what does the club have to lose at this point? I mean, the guy is leaving, you know, okay. He might go to enter, um, which is, I don't know. I expect, I personally expect him to go to either Inter or I'd like to go to Madrid, but we'll see. Yes, I mean, I don't know. What do you have to lose at this point? Just, you know, give him like, I don't know, half an hour, an hour of, or however long the ceremony and all that was. Let him do his thing and then we all go home. So, I don't know. Again, if it was intentional, I don't know. But I have some sympathy just with the fact that it was just tricky given how different their situations where Chiellini and, you know, Dybala again with Chiellini just being like joyous occasion and with Dybala being more of a, you know, I guess a melancholic, more of a sense of disappointment rather than celebration. So I don't know. I don't know. What do I know? know, What do I know? I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. So I, I want to pose one question to the group. What were your reactions when you heard how badly Andrea Agnelli got booed when he was introduced <laughs> for the in Chiellini's ceremony? Because I honestly Power did not. Ex- I, I mean, yeah, but like I, I didn't expect it to be quite so overt. But it was the entire damn like you know the like you know the Corvassud has been feuding with Agnelli for years because he's stopped breaking the rules for them after after the club got in trouble, but like. The whole stadium was booing him. And that's what kind of surprised me. Yeah, the the volume of it got me. And it was definitely, and here's the first editable moment of the of the podcast. It was definitely an oh kind of moment for me. Uh yeah. mainly because and I I tweeted it out uh on my personal account uh on Twitter that this it reminded me of when and obviously it's different points in their ownership but kind of the same vibe is that when the Warriors were Golden State Warriors were first bought by their current owner, Joe Lacob, and he, they were having a retirement ceremony for Chris Mullen. And he was loudly booed because a lot of stuff was going on within the franchise at the very beginning of his tenure as owner. And it was that kind of thing where kind of that almost in a way took things over than what was actually being celebrated, where in this case it'd be Chiellini. And that was 
not only was it the volume of it, but it was also just every single time Andrea and Yelly was shown or anybody, whether it was Riva Bene or, or Pavel Nedved, when the front office was shown on the screens in the stadium, I mean, they did not wait. I mean, it was right away and they did not <laughs> hold back. And yeah, it was surprising in some ways, but knowing how this season has been and how the last few years have been and knowing that Dybal is leaving in this kind of fashion, it wasn't surprising because this isn't the everything's building on, you know, the previous season and this is, you know, another title winning season and this is, you know, a, a deep Champions League run. Things aren't good at this club right now. And Andrea Agnelli heard every bit of it. And it was, I don't know, it was, I guess it was kind of refreshing in a way because, you know, some people are kind of like, yeah, look at all he's done. But look, <laughs> this club is, not great right now and the last few years have not been very good and john elkin heard it too john elkin no john elkin noticed noticeably uh stoic when giorgio chiellini was coming off as others were very emotional yeah maybe that's just john elkin in a nutshell i don't know i know little about him so i think yeah he, he seems the stoic type i think also agnelli's right now writing like an all-time heater in terms of doing like unlikable unpopular themes right like because it was only like last year or was it this year no it was last year the, the whole super league thing like yep. you know with everyone backing down except real madrid barcelona and us like that was and, and for whatever reason you know because everyone knows that florentino Perez is you know mad and you know they kind of just kind of understand that but for whatever reason, the one that looked the worst out of that whole, you know, mess was Andre Agnelli. Like he definitely looked like a very shady person, or at least that was the spin that that UEFA had, right? Like, and this is not a Super League debate. It's just like it, the general consensus or the general opinion, by by and large, for most people, is that the Super League sucked and it was a bad idea. And the teams or the clubs that kind of stayed fighting for it definitely took a hit. And you can, you know. Fans will forget very easily when you win. I'm, I'm sure that, you know, Real Madrid fans right now have absolutely, like, they, they completely forgotten about the Super League thing because they're in the Champions League final. They won La Liga. Like, they're, they're doing fine. But for us, for Juventus, like, wait, like, back to back years where we don't even sniff the title. Uh, you know, last year, like, we at least got, got the Copa. This year is nothing. Obviously, they weren't going to let him hear it. And you add to that, that, you know, the Super League thing, I think definitely added to kind of like this feeling of like, you know, f that guy. And, you know, Danny already cursed, so whatever. The <laughs> <seal was broken>. <laughs> and <laughs> so I, it, it was very fun. It was very cathartic. It was a, a thing that here in Mexico we do all the time, like for whatever reason, you know, in, in baseball, like the Mexican League, the opening day, they usually have like a, like a local politician throw at the first pitch, every single person in that stadium booed. Like there was not one person that didn't do it. And it was always like a very cathartic emotion. I'm sure that the same thing was was happening in that stadium. Like, hey, let's <laughs> boo this reach, this dude that has like more money than God. Like I like I think that's the one equalizer when you're like in, in a public in a public situation and you can just completely without consequence Ooh, the ever-loving crap out of like a, a billionaire, and I think it was good on the people at Juventus Stadium for doing that. Yeah, I mean, I'll go off on a slight tangent and kind of bring it back in, but you know, I've always said that 
football is a mirror mirror of society. So, you know, the issues that go on in society, I think are reflected or manifest themselves, I guess, in um, mostly in the stadium, but yeah, I mean, kind of on the football page and just from fans. Um, so obviously, you know, we're living in a time of just a lot of disgruntlement with, with authority or with just um, governance in general, governing bodies uh, of all sorts and just uh, politicians. And yeah, you know, with the people in charge, yeah, there's just a lot of, yeah, anger and, and irritation with people in such positions all, all across society. So I think, you know, you see something like this and it's, it's kind of a reflection of that just with, you know, the booing of Agnelli. Um, yeah, that's kind of a reflection of that as well. Uh, I mean, in general, just on a personal level, uh, I think if you, you know, if you show kind of dissatisfaction with um, authority and just with established you know, the people in charge, I prefer to do the kind of a little, you know, classier than <laughs> booing him during, uh, yeah, during such an occasion. However, I mean, I completely understand it. I think it's largely justified in the sense that, you know, yeah, people are just like not very happy with him from the Super League to the whole, you know, Dybala issue and obviously the state of the club right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand it, you know, and and I mean, obviously, it's people's right to do that. I mean, would I have done it? I don't know. I I, I generally prefer to uh, um, show my uh, dissatisfaction in I don't know more democratic manners, I guess, but or in more I don't know more I don't know vote the guy out or something. I think I don't vote know. somebody from the stands of a sports stadium is the most democratic thing you could possibly do. Yeah, it's I mean, that's all the people. Well, I mean, more democratic in the sense, like, I don't know, let's start a petition or something to, like, I don't know, oust the man or something or, like, you know. Um, but again, I mean, I, I think it's... It was really good booing, too. I mean, as a Philadelphia sports fan, like, you know, the boo is the song of my people. So, like, I... Like, <laughs> that was some... That was some real quality booing going on, too. Yeah, and he's just done, like, I mean, just a lot of unpopular things that just, just made people... Yeah, just, I mean, fans, Juve fans, just very unhappy. And, you know, I, I think fundamentally, I think people understand or are forgiving if you don't do everything right. Like, I mean, as a president or as like a club or something, like if you don't do everything right in the sense that, you know, if you're not always winning, I think people are like, honestly, more forgiving than like, than we might think. But you know what, I think they're well, less. You know what cures it is winning. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I mean, like Sergio <laughs> said, look at Real Madrid. Last year, they're, you know, obviously pissed off about the Super League, all that stuff, or at least their fans were. And then now, a year later, Champions League finalists got La Liga. Everything's fine outside of missing out on that Mbappe guy that you mentioned earlier <laughs> in the podcast. That chap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I think people um, are less forgiving about, like, how you go about these things, you know. Um I mean, we're obviously not very good right now. And it's like, well, how are we not like, how is that happening? Well, we're I mean, just playing dire football and we're just, you know, not, well, okay, now finally giving someone like Fabio Miretti a chance, but, you know, not ever really having relied on youth and not ever really giving youth players a chance. Now we're going after, you know, 34 year olds uh, from uh, PSG, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, yes, we later. will get there in a minute. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, you know, I think people, and obviously the whole Super League ordeal, and it's like, okay, if we're losing and if we're bad, that's one thing. But to be losing and to be bad and to be doing stuff like this in such a way, I think that's really what gets, I mean, gets to me more anyway than the actual fact of losing. I think it's, it's really just the how you go about it. I think 
to me anyway, that's also really underlying that booing and and why again I think it's like understandable and justified that they did it. Yeah, um, this isn't yeah. one singular thing. This has been yeah, built. This has been building for a few years. Whether it's from the Sauter years to the Pirlo treatment, and you know whether you agree or disagree that he should have stayed on for a second year, and then obviously the inability to really build anything in this first season with Allegri. That's you know that's three seasons of frustration. Exactly. Well, one hundred percent agreed. I, I think it definitely depends on how good the team is because, like you just saw it. Like I, you know, we went from the the you know hashtags using numbers being like a cute, quirky, fun thing that the defense social media do to now being like just shut up already with that thing. Like I'm done <laughs> with the stupid hashtags. Like it, we we went from like oh they, how cool they debuted like the new kid in the last match day. Like that's awesome. They lift the trophy with it. That's so cool. Now it's like. You don't get to do that. Like that was dumb. Like just stop with that gimmick. Like fans will put up with a lot <laughs> when you're winning. If you're not winning, then we like fans just will not put up with a lot of stuff. And I think Andreñoli definitely felt that in 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 that celebration. And listen, here's a guy that just moves around in circles that you know we don't even know. And I guarantee you, like how many times does Andrea Agnelli get said no? Just like in his general life, just like overall, like that's a team who can have anything at any moment in all time. And it has to be humbling a little bit to just sit in a stadium and have, you know, 50,000 plus people boo you. Like that has to like just for a, from a human standpoint, I think that was a good thing for him. I think you need that a little bit. I, I think, you know, he, he needed to be humbled a little. And I'm glad that the people at Juventus Stadium gave him that, that opportunity. Well, to transition a little bit, Chuck's brought up one uh, reported transfer target that Juventus is seemingly close to bringing in on the free transfer. And there's another one, speaking of hashtag Sergio, that I'm sure they might be thinking about uh, creating one for, which seems uh, just about as done as as done can get it, uh, outside of some final details being worked out. And that's obviously Paul Pogba coming back for Pog back 2.0 and uh, on held. That's right. Pog back and forth. On <laughs> <laughs> held Maria coming in from PSG also on a free transfer. Uh, the obvious question, you know, we talked a little bit about Pogba uh, a week or two ago. How are we feeling about it? Uh, obviously there is the major caveat to steer, steal a line from Sergio uh, of the um, injuries that Pogba has had in recent years, which is ironic knowing that they are uh, getting rid of uh, Paul Dybala probably in part because of his injury history. And then you bring in somebody like Pogba, but yeah, how are we feeling? Uh, good, bad, indifferent, or just wait and see at some point. I mean, just with Pogba to me, it's, it's such a, you know, the thing is that I think both moves fall under the same category for me in the sense that on paper, I really love them. I think you can make a very compelling case that if you fully transition through a 4-3-3 formation and you use, you know, Angel Di Maria from, from uh, admittedly, I haven't seen a ton of PSG this season, but from what I've seen and, and the times that I've seen Di Maria on the field, I think he's still a very productive player. I think he's still a guy that can, that can you know, be a difference maker. And, you know, if you fully transition to a 4-3-3 and you bring in a guy like Boca and you bring in like a guy like Di, Di Maria, to play alongside with with Chiesa, you have a potentially a midfield with Sakaria, Locatelli, and Pogba. 
you know, just on paper, you're talking about a, a very good team. Like that looks to me like a really, really good team. But then again, this just feels a lot like the old Juve one more time. Like the thing that they've said over and over again that they don't want to do anymore, that they don't want to chase after the name, right? And that that's the thing. Like these two are, are name signings. It's bringing back Paul Pogba, who, you know, whatever it is that, that you think of him, he's still one of the biggest names in football. He's still one of the most marketable guys out there. And he had a very long history with Juventus, you know, very successful history with Juventus. It's just, but is he really the guy that you need right now? If you're really going to transition to being a younger player, um, a younger team, I'm sorry, a more sustainable team, is is paying arguably less money than, than he would be worth because I'm sure PSG is suffering a lot more. He was making a lot more in Manchester United, but still paying up a sizable wage bill for a guy that is 29, that has a recent history of injury, that they're club is definitely not making a lot of you know efforts to sign him i mean it's this and and Di maria who you know he's still a productive guy but he's 34 i think like how does that fit into your project of let's get younger let's get cheaper let's build in a more sustainable way and then get these two guys it just it doesn't make absolutely any sense in my mind with what was the the concept of what they were supposedly trying to do. And that to me is exactly the problem that put Juventus in this spot, just not having an identity, just not knowing where your club is going and what you want to do. And this feels to me like like just falling right back into it because you had that that kind of like spinal cord of a team of saying it's the look, it's yes, it's look at Taylor's black it's just young guys. We're gonna build for, from scratch. And then you bring in these two other guys with very high wages much older, much bigger injury risks. And you're like, what are we doing? Like this, this isn't Aaron Ramsey 2.0 because Aaron Ramsey was a bad idea from the get-go. And it, Aaron Ramsey never had the upside that that these two guys could potentially have. But it feels just like an out-of-place signing with what the project they were trying to build supposedly was. And and that's what, that worries me the most. Then again, they're two very talented players. And if they manage to stay fit and they manage to play up to their level, I think Juventus has a very, very good team on paper. But, you know, it just it, it feels like, once again, just a disconnect between what the strategy is supposed to be and the actual moves that are being made. And that's Europa League runner-up Aaron Ramsey. Mm-hmm. Silver medalist. Oh, oh. Ramsey. <laughs> oh that's, that's harsh even for me. Europa League difference maker, Aaron Ramsey. Hey, that, that's just a fact right there. He, he made a difference, <laughs> yep. all right. He made the difference. He was the difference. Yeah, I, I agree a lot with what you said, Sergio. And it, it comes to that. I'm, I'm going down to saying with Pogba, I am trepidatious because we do know what Pogba can do when he is healthy and on question is how much is he going to be healthy and how much is he going to be on because he has been so and you know there are certainly questions at least when it came to his his issues of focus is you know yeah manchester united was a show while he was there um there's no there's no question of that but the the health problems just are especially after the kind of year we just had that's a lot of if for me and 
I, I'm, I'm going into this wanting it to be a really good move and wanting it to be really successful, but I am cautious. Um, and as for Dean Maria, I am actually the complete opposite of you, Sergio. I think this is dumb. I'll rephrase. I think this is dumb on the wages he is getting. Seven million is way too much. Even if it's one year for a guy who's 34 years old and and everything that I've seen from him this year has actually showed me a guy that really isn't the that really is on the downside. I mean, you look at his stats, and you know, this year, uh, this year he scored at the end of November, he scored a goal in 90 minutes against Sanatien. He didn't score a goal or register an assist for another 12 games. It took until April. And he was playing regularly. Um, he didn't register an assist until April. He didn't score another goal until May. Um, that, that's that's not the kind of and you know and when you when you are like you said, Sergio, looking at you know you, you know we've been sold this bill of you know the, the team wants to get younger. The idea that Allegri wanted to renew the squad when he you know, when he left and then you throw in a 34 year old guy on huge wages who is starting to look like father time is catching up with him. And then the other, and, and the, then the other name is that you're hearing when it comes to wingers is Ivan Perisic, who is just as old. And, and it's, it's, it's really, really puzzling. And I, I kind of don't like it. And, and, Danny, you mentioned in one uh, in in one of the news pieces this week that you know the we haven't heard the name of Giacomo uh, of of Raspadori uh, coming to uh, you know being linked back to us for a little bit, and I, that's kind of concerning to me because I think he's a player that you kind of need right now. But if we're passing him up for this, that's a little concerning. And, and again, I think it, I think it goes back to, to what I'm saying about the right the. What is your project? Where do you think you are? Because to me, a Di Maria move, I, I, I mean, I, I don't think he's at his prime. I definitely don't think he's, he's you know, a, a useless player. I, think, I still think they can use him. But I think you make that move when, to me, this is a, obviously a different level. But to me, this is a Cristiano Ronaldo move. This is a, I'm very close. I feel like that I can, I can be there. I can be there competing for big trophies. And I'm going to take a swing on a high-wage guy for one year and hope that he can give me what what is missing in my team for that one year, like get that last squeeze of prime football from that guy, and I'm going to overpay for that one year. Juventus is not that team. Juventus is not at that team. What is the difference between him and Cuadrado right now? Probably not a lot, but you make that gamble if you feel like you're like, for example, like Juan Cuadrado, and I've said this before, I think he can still be a very productive player if he's an impact sub. So if you have a very complete team, and you bring in Angel Di Maria and you overpay for one year because you feel like you're close, that makes sense to me. But this is not a team that is close right now. Like, they're definitely not close. So it just it's, again, just where is this team? What do they are? What do they think they are? Because if they believe they are one Angel Di Maria away from, from competing for the Scudetto again, I just don't see it. I just really, really don't see it. And, and that's what's a bit puzzling to me about, about both of these moves. Yeah, actually, honestly, I really have very little to add. I think you guys really nailed it. 
Um, well, thank you, thank you, Edward. <laughs> we appreciate that. Thank you for your contributions. <laughs> I know. I, hey, I, story of my life. I'm just the guy that's uh, just in the background, and uh, you know, just says yes, sir, no, sir, no, ma'am. Um, no, I mean, honestly, uh, yeah, you guys definitely with Sam's point on Dima. Yeah, that's also what concerns me most about him. I can reconcile about coming back i mean he's 29 obviously but he's not like at the very end of his career you know i think he still has some good football in him obviously it's the injuries that's the problem but if he stays fit which i mean obviously who who knows you know who knows but if he stays fit and just in the in the, being in the uva environment where he's had really his best years and well with france of course as well but where he's had his best time and just where he's in an environment where people trust him i you know i'm relatively confident he can play quite good football again the wages are yeah a little comfortably high for me but i can somewhat reconcile that move but yeah dmas uh transfer just screams of just short-term termism which worries me because it just shows we've had we haven't learned <laughs> you know we haven't learned our lesson yet just of like okay we can get this guy oh let's get him in for a year well then again this is the kind of stuff where next year we'll get i don't know another 33 34 year old on the one year deal on the one year deal where it's like okay yeah well, let's just get him in just one year and you know it's you keep doing that it 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 reminds me of like i think i had a friend who um i think yeah yeah it was him who like they moved to i forget where they moved to but you know their parents were like okay we're just going to stay here for like two years let's just rent we're just going to rent rent our house let's just stay here for two years and then two years became three years. Okay, well, let's just rent one more year, you know, and then they keep going. And then, then they've been there for like 15 years, you know, as, as renters, which well sucks, obviously, because, you know, they could have bought the house and like, you know, got a lot of equity, blah, blah. blah. But um, it, it's just that kind of like, well, okay, let's just quickly do this. Let's just quickly get Dimaia in and just keep him for a year. Nah, I mean, it just screams of short-termism. And, you know, he might still have some decent football in him, but nah, I, I, I'm just... I'm not against the move just on the basis of just Di Maria as a player or anything, but just, I think just what that move symbolizes of just like, we really, I mean, do we really want to fix our problem? Like the long, the big picture problem of just refreshing the team and having like some kind of plan, or are we just going to keep trying short-term fixes? You know, that, yeah, that's really what mostly, uh, mostly bothers me about this, about just about the Di Maria transfer, potential transfer. It reminds me a lot of when I was at Bleacher Report and and covering AC Milan, and this was the exact same. You know, you know, it was it was pretty much the exact same thing. It was you know that team giving you know tons of minutes to the likes of Michael Essien and Sully Montari when they had younger player, you know, good young players. They had an eight, they had a, a a nineteen year nineteen twenty year old Manuel Locatelli, you know, at their disposal, and. Instead, they kept on on feeding guys like Essie in minutes, and it, it it's it's kind of uncomfortably feeling the same type of way because we all saw how long it took for Milan to finally dig themselves out of that spiral and get to where they are now, which is champions. And you know, if, if you want to finish on a bit of a more positive note, and especially with Pogba, and, and I'm going to lift a passage here from Brian O'Hanlon, who writes for ESPN, but. You know, if you just look at the numbers, United were just significantly better with Pogba was on the field over the past six years. You know, plus 0.76 goal differential for 90 minutes compared to a plus 0.36 with him off it. And over this year, he still ranks within 19th percentile or higher among midfielders across the big five leagues. 
in shots, goals, expected goals, assists, expected assists, dribbles, touches in the penalty area, and progressive passes received, which is a lot of stats. And he, he can still be an elite player, right? Like he can still be a, that guy. And look, at least like I said at the beginning, on paper, if you manage to get a healthy Pogba, Locatelli, and Sakaria in the same midfield, I think that's not even an overstatement to say that that's the best midfield they've had in five, six years, like probably even longer than that, like at least on paper. That is pretty much your midfield problem solved because now you have quality players all over that midfield and you can still fill in with McKenny, with Raviot, who I still think playing in those positions as, sub, as substitutes, maybe not necessarily as starters have to bear the front of the midfield. They can be much better fits in those positions. You can bring back uh, Fagioli, you can keep, you know, bring back Robela, you can give Mirati a chance. That is now suddenly a very promising, very solid midfield room if it works. And that's that's really kind of like why we're having this discussion, right? Like if it works, if he can stay healthy. And that is that is a gamble that they're going to make. You know, it's a gamble they could have made with Dybala and they didn't. So you have to hope that they know what they're doing. But if, if recent history is, is, you know, is an indicator, yeah, we'll probably be talking about Paul Pogba playing like 20 games a season, you know, three years from now. So that that sucks. <laughs> but let's hope that, that that's not the case. And if it's not the case, I think the team next year is definitely better than, than the team right now. A potential tease for episode number 200. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we end on some Twitter questions, gentlemen? Sure. Hey. I'm, I'm sure that number 200... We'll still be paying Aaron Branch some sort of money. So, <laughs> <laughs> all righty. First question here from at Viola underscore Nation. You sure you guys don't want to talk about Saturday's game? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's uh, a great Dr. Dre once say. Let's just chill to the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Chucks. Well, I know I said no predictions on this one. I lied. From at Juventino underscore BNA, can we get a quote-unquote dream scenario and a quote-unquote realistic scenario transfer window prediction? Oh, in terms of who we, like, buy and sell, I suppose? Yes. Oh, uh, gosh, man. Okay, so dream. Um, well, dream would... Uh, I guess you guys have been knocking on Ramsey so much, so uh, dream would be to sell Ramsey uh, somehow magically to Rangers for, like, I don't know, 800 million euros or something. <laughs> no, I mean, just... 800 million. <laughs> you know, I mean, there are players in La Liga with, like, billion-dollar uh, buyout clauses, which I know they're mandatory, but blimey, billion dollars, or billion euros, rather, sorry. Um, but, um, no, no, but I mean... Just the point to, is to make nobody want to... Yeah, yeah, but I don't know, some of it takes to make, <laughs> like... You know, you you have like some squad player like Valencia, like I don't know, five hundred million euros. And I'm like, come on, I know you just like to dissuade people, but like you know, kind of taking the mick. But uh, yeah, no, to sell uh, Ramsey to Rangers for I don't know some kind of like anything more than like ten million euros would honestly be pretty fantastic. Um, and you know, I've been on his side. I've defended him largely during kind of this podcast's existence but yeah so adrian rabio would i think again i mean i don't have anything personally against him i still think he's i mean a decent player but i think if we really want to stop being kind of like just about decent and and again going back to the whole di maria thing of just like 
trying to kind of chug along with players who can still kind of do something. No, I mean, if we really, really want to move forward, we got to, yeah, sell someone like Rabio as well. Again, anything more than like 10 million euros or something like that. Same for, uh, I mean, I'm a bit on the fence about the Shilio, but yeah. I mean, if we sold him, I wouldn't be like heartbroken. If we kept him, I could maybe just about accept it. So I'm 50-50 on that. Basically just getting rid of, yeah, players like that. Um, I know yeah. who on this podcast would be heartbroken about Mattia De Shiglio being sold this summer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, talk, about, talk about a nightmare scenario right there. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. And um, well, I'll stick to the ideal. I don't want to take up too much time. So I'll stick to the ideal uh, part. Yeah. And getting rid. Um, yeah. I mean, Rabio Ramsey, De Shiglio, I mean, that's. And then I mean, we have players. How it likely, how it likely to involves getting rid of people rather than people arriving. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, that kind of says it all. Um, and yeah, I mean, then we have all the confirmed players already. Like Bernadeschi is already confirmed. So yeah, I mean, he's gone. Yeah, unfortunately, Dybala, Chiellini. So yeah, I mean, I think that kind of covers the biggest parts of it. Um, and if we could get like, yeah, if we could get, yeah, I don't know. Central midfielder, you know. Yeah, I'm gonna leave it. I'm gonna leave it on departures. I'm gonna, you know, cede the floor to uh, the rest of you guys to continue that. To take on the baton. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll add. I, I would first add one departure to your list, is which is our tour. Um, yeah, I, who I think about frankly him, is one yeah. who is. I think frankly is a is a very realistic departure candidate. If Mikel Arteta still wants him, he can go. I do think Rabio. I think a team like Newcastle or something like that will probably be willing to pony up the money for uh, for a guy like Rabio. I'm pretty sure Alexandro is on his way out this year as well, so I'm gonna I'm gonna put you know lump them together. Ramsey, I think, will leave, but I think he's going to leave on a contract termination. I do not think that anybody is going to waste money uh, on on signing him, unfortunately. When it comes to incoming, I would like to, I would I very much want to see Guaspadori. I would like to see a left back that could possibly be built around. There have been a couple of options that we've been uh, connected to. Uh, there's been uh, Molina from uh, from Udinese. There's been Destiny Odoje. There's been Owen Vindal from the Netherlands. Um, any one of those guys that you know, it looks like a promising left back to kind of refresh that position and uh, and compete with Luca Pellegrini for that spot. I think would be good. The midfield, you know, especially if you're bringing in Pogba, I would say keep it there. You know, fill any of the holes from other departures with guys like Rovella, Fagioli, Miretti. You have these three really talented kids. Let them go. Let them let the kids play and see what comes out of it. One really interesting thing uh, is going to be what happens to Merida Miral, because now that Atalanta are out of Europe next season, there are some rumblings that they're not going to have the money to make his option permanent, which could fill a big center back hole for Juventus if that ends up being the case. And and would then, between him and, 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 uh, and Gatti, that kind of fills out your your depth chart at center back. So yeah, I, that, that, that would be my, that would be my idea. Yeah. I, 
you know, I alluded to it earlier, but as long as Matias de Silva is no longer a Cuba player, I think that I'm good. I don't want to ask for anything else. I don't want. I don't want nothing more out of life than to just not have to see him. Just to not have to see him on my TV anymore. Like if I can forget Matias de Silva is a human being alive at the same time as I am in the world, I think I'm good. And and moving forward, honestly, like this is not even a, a joke. Take like. I hope that we get a left back and a left winger that I don't know about because that those have been like the better signings for Juve. Like the, the guys that are kind of under the radar, the guys that, you know, we don't have a lot of hopes for, or, or the guys that don't come with a huge price tag or, or with huge expectations, but they obviously did their homework and they know they're really good players. Like recently, you look at all the midfield signings they have done recently, and arguably the two best ones have been, uh, I mean, Locatelli, obviously, but that was a very specific signing. And Weston McKinney, a guy that, you know, no one really had on his radar before he was the Juventus signing. And, you know, you even look at the history behind it, like with, with you know, when, when they signed Stefan Lichtsteiner, if you go way back. You know, when they signed all, like, Andrea Arvastagli for nothing, like, he was a reclamation project. Like, that is... To me, sorry? Vidal. Vidal, yeah. I mean, you talk about some of the better signings that they've had, and it's just guys that do not have the biggest price tags, do not have the biggest names, will probably not sell the most amount of shirts. Sorry, Juventus social media team. But, you know, they are the guys that actually build the foundation of really, really successful clubs. And and we just saw it, Aston Milan, they're champions, and they did those signings. Like they, they, they were like, okay, we're not going to sign Donnarumma. We're going to sign this new kid who's gone from Lille and he's the best goalkeeper in the league now. And they're doing this signings now. Like they had, like, to me, that was some of the best decision-making that they've made. They, they're, they, I think it's a done deal or it's about to be a done deal with Renato Sanchez, right? Like that dude was the, one of the most hyped prospects in years coming out of Benfica, I think. He crashed out in Bayern Munich. I mean, he was super young. He was super raw. He, he couldn't hack it in one of the best clubs in the world. Then he goes back to the French league, gets back to his level, shows that talent that made him super hyped at that one point. I know Milan is getting him for honestly not a lot. Like that was a guy that I really wanted in Juventus and Milan got him for like not that much. And I think, you know, Juventus should be focusing on those type of players instead of, you know, freaking going after Angel Di Maria or Paul Pogba and like the names instead of actually trying to build something from scratch because their last very successful, you know, stage in, you know, in, in football was by building a team that way. And I hope that they, they would go back to trying to build a team that way. So that would be my ideal scenario. They just bring in a bunch of guys that I just don't know, haven't even heard of, and they turn out to be really, really good players. Because they're a football team and that is their job. And they try to find those type of players. So that's that's my dream scenario. All righty. Last question here since we're uh, running a little long on time. From at VO underscore Dyken. Happy 100th episode, guys. What's your least and most favorite memory from this past season? Least favorite. So many to choose. Least favorite and most favorite memory from this past season. My, my my favorite memory is probably, uh, and I, I do not mean to provoke you, Sergio, my favorite memory from this season is probably the Chilio scoring the winner against Roma just because of the sheer improbability of that moment. We'll always have that one day. 
um, as for my least favorite moment uh, is actually from the exact same game was, was Kiesa pulling up with the knee injury and knowing just how, just how crappy the rest of the season was about to get without him around. Uh, that was, that was rough. Uh, yeah. So both, both from the same match, uh, one great one, not so great. Well, yeah, you can go ahead. Chuck. Okay. <laughs> I was waiting for you to go. Uh, my least favorite one was definitely the, definitely the second leg kind of collapse against the, um, against BRL. Yeah. I was just, I know it was just so, yeah, it, it just the manner of the collapse was just so disheartening. Especially because the first half we were, I mean, pretty decent. And, you know, again, it was nil-nil. I mean, still 1-1 in the tie, just required one goal. And again, just based on their based on their performances, the uh, Villarreal performances in the pre or the the next games against uh, Bayern and uh Liver, yeah, it's Liverpool. They I mean, they probably had one of their worst games. I think in the Champions League in that second leg against us, or just our least inspired, or least you know, least least inspired games in that second leg against us. So I mean, it was just so unnecessary, and just it was just such like a yet again moment, you know, where they're like, "Wow, we really did it again!" And another in a tie that against a team that wasn't like top top seed in the knockout round again, we did it. It was just yeah, it just really was. Just, just such a moment of like, I'm so over it, you know, just it's kind of a breaking point really. And then the most, uh, or the favorite uh, part, I'll, I'll probably take the one uh, nil win against Chelsea um, in the group stage, because that was probably one of the few tactical masterclasses that Allegri had this season. I think uh, that actually truly worked from, I mean, I would say from start to finish. So, yeah, that, those two moments. What, you didn't have much faith in Federico Bernardeschi starting as a striker in, in the Champions League against the reigning champions? Hey, I have, I have more faith in myself as a goalkeeper. Really. <laughs> but I was proven wrong. Uh, in that moment, anyway, in that, in that very, very, that, just that one game. That very specific game. Yes. Yeah, I, I, that was actually going to be my, my favorite moment because I, I do agree that was kind of like, it felt, it, it was also like one of the, you know, first games, first big European games with a full stadium. So it felt like a big game again. It felt like a big match. And just Juventus, you know, beating the reigning European champions with freaking Federico Bernardo starting as striker. It was just such a, you know, unlikely result. And, you know, you could really feel the stadium going for it. So, you know, if I, if I had to choose that, that to me is my, my favorite moment too. But to, to pick a different one, the first minute of the Villarreal first leg with Blahovic scoring, like pretty much with her first touch. That was really fun. That that was that was a really cool like 90 or so seconds that really made us believe. Just just in general, the whole do some black of its thing. I think that is, you know, once it's all said and done, I think that is going to be the the thing that remains from this season that could be a stepping stone to something better in the future. Because it really came out of nowhere. It it was something that nobody expected to happen, especially in January transfer window. And for him to come in and have such an immediate impact on the team that, you know, it ended up fading away, but it just, that, that, those last, those first few games and especially that first game against Villarreal, like when he scored immediately, like that was really, you know, I think it really was a, a, a shot in the arm for a team that really needed one. And 
my least favorite one is just there's so many to choose from. It's it's hard to <laughs> <Right>. pick, but <laughs> it is yes, like picking one one like which kid you like the best. It's just so hard to do. Uh, but you know, I think I think the loss against Inter for the Coppa Italia because it signaled that they were not winning anything for the first time in in a good amount of time. Uh, and, and just because it was such a perfect microcosm of, of who this team is or who this team was this year, right? Like, you know, they had flashes that they go up to one and they suddenly they start playing well and then they just waste away the the, the lead. They miss a couple, like that Bonucci header that wasn't, that could have sealed the deal. And then you just knew, you just knew right after that counterattack didn't happen, didn't come through, that they were going to, you know, throw away the lead and then they do and then they do it in such a frustrating way with like a dumb VAR call and then with Delek doing a dumb foul which you know he's still great but I mean it's just infuriating that this thing still happened to him and you know it, it was just such a perfect microcosm of what this team still can't do right now and yeah you never want to lose against Inter in a big game in a final and they managed to do it twice this year. So if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about this season, then then I don't know what will. But yeah, I, I think that would be my my least favorite moment. Yeah, I will I will wrap it up by saying my favorite moment would be that Roma comeback, but you had the Chiesa stuff kind of lingering over, and especially the manner in which the news broke about how serious his knee injury was and when it was happening, like you couldn't enjoy that win at all just because you knew it's like, oh crap, Kiesa season's over. Literally minutes after <laughs> they had one of their best comebacks in years. Uh, so I will, for my best moment, honestly, from a pure joy standpoint, it will be a different kind of comeback. It will be the women's team's comeback against Lyon in the first leg of the Champions League quarterfinal because that was completely unexpected, a lot like the Roma one was, but that was against, as we just saw a few days ago, or yesterday, against now the Champions League holder. So, yeah, that was that was pretty damn cool. And it happened in Turin, which made it even better. So that is my way of also bringing up the women who won their domestic treble, Supercoppa, Coppa Italia, Scudetto, 10 titles in five years for the Juventus women. So that is... Uh, pretty impressive for them. So, uh, yeah, that's all we have for you guys today. Thank you all for your Twitter questions. We always appreciate them. Uh, we uh, always would like you to send in your Twitter questions at Juventus Nation on the Twitter machine is there. You can follow us there as well as on Facebook at Black and White and Winter. Red all over is your search tool, same search tool for your favorite podcasting platform, whether it is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Like and subscribe. I already said like and subscribe. Couch, leave this all in. It's me being tired and forgetting everything. If you want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, feel free to do so. So I'm going to stop talking, wrap things up. Thank you guys for listening to 100 episodes and beyond. For Sam, for Chucks, and for Sergio, and for Editor Couch, this is Danny saying thank you very much for listening. I'm officially tired. I will stop talking now, and we'll talk to you guys in our season review next week. <laughs>